Welcome back to our series, That Part, Intimacy and MS. This is layer eight. Today we are joined by Audra Indermuley, an occupational therapist in Wisconsin, and Dr. Gretchen Howley, the physical therapist you all know and love. Today we're talking about discussing intimacy concerns with your neurological care team. And this is just a gentle reminder that some of the content moving forward may be explicit and not suitable for little ears. So enjoy the episode. Welcome to season three of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We're just two Black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron through our Patreon. Patrons can gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, chances to join us on the Myelin and Melanin party line, and more. We'd like to thank our music producer, Shah Severe, for providing our podcast music over the years. You can find him on Instagram at shah.severe, and you can also find him on YouTube. Welcome, Audra, and thank you so much for joining us today. We have been really excited about speaking with you, and we can't wait to dive into this conversation. So um, would you mind telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do as an occupational therapist? Oh, yeah. My name is Audra, and I work as an occupational therapist. I've worked in many different settings. Um, I've worked in outpatient settings, inpatient acute settings, inpatient return to community settings with a host of different people uh, going through their life changes and new diagnosis. And as an occupational therapist, we are responsible for a broad range of life experiences. And we kind of break those up into categories of activities of daily living, which include your ability to take care of yourself, whether that's bathing and dressing and functional mobility, um, to Instrumental ADLs, which which veer more towards cooking, cleaning, shopping, child child care. Um, sexuality falls in the realm of activities of daily living. So that's something that we kind of address when we are working with our clients or patients and how to help them navigate new physical changes, emotional changes, uh, cognitive changes as they are on their journey to bettering themselves and making the most of what they have and living their lives to their fullest, which is our motto as OTs is to live your life to your fullest potential. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, yeah it is. We desperately need your help as MS patients because when you lose function, you know, of your limbs, it's difficult to kind of piece it all back together and to, to be able to function and have a high quality of life, I guess, you know, um, like using a fork or just being able to lift your leg. This is important. This is, you know, something that we have to be able to incorporate in our lives, like learning how to do it all over again. When you lose that function, you have to continue to move forward. Exactly. Figure out a new way. And as an occupational therapist, I feel like our biggest role, the more that I have uh, worked in the field myself, is to to really help somebody else understand where their strengths and weaknesses are, or to help them mm-hmm. access their own personal knowledge of their body, because mm-hmm. they're the expert. I'm not the expert. You know, I can, I can make suggestions and give you safer options. However, if you, you have to know your body, so you're, we're working through right. it together, we're working through these changes together. We are not experts you are the expert so it's about building that confidence in yourself right because you're going to continually have changes you know can we set some good foundation where you rely and trust on yourself and your own knowledge and expertise right to make to make changes and modifications that benefit you 
Right. You know, we started this series talking just about what, what you mentioned about, you know, knowing yourself and accepting yourself and, and loving yourself. And in previous episodes, we've talked about how, how to navigate this illness and in, in other scenarios. And this is a great topic because we need to know how to function and ask questions about sexuality and be comfortable with ourselves in order to approach you all to dive into that topic, to, to make it a better experience for you and for your partner. Uh, right. And uh, yeah. I'm just going to uh-huh. interrupt you one second, Don. I think that like when we think about activities of daily living, like sex and sexuality isn't something that people automatically think of. Like they just think of like dressing and eating and bathing and going to the bathroom and things like that. But like sex is an activity of daily living as well. And I think it could be. It's there. Yeah. For sure. Just like bathing and putting on clothes (laughs) and buttoning your shirt. Absolutely. Right. How to function in the bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. It's a huge part of our daily self that nobody in right. healthcare really likes to touch on. We tiptoe around right. it, you know, as health professionals, we kind of wait for somebody to talk to us about it. Whereas an occupational therapist, especially if we're in a type of setting where we are working on bathing and dressing, and I have the opportunity to work with you in your most vulnerable setting, you know, even toileting, right? Having mm-hmm. somebody you naked and help you wipe. Like we are, we should be the ones that are opening up that conversation to be like, okay, that's a small part of, I mean, it's an important part of who you are, but this is also equally as important. And, right. and um, and even just kind of watching how we relate to people in those vulnerable situations, you know, are we respecting the fact that you are a sexual being and that it is right. to be naked around a stranger and then when we talk right. about sex, you're being emotionally naked around a stranger, too. Yes. So there's a lot that goes with it. Right. And I think I, I can speak for yeah. myself as an MS patient. I think the fact that we are poked and prodded so often and we are pretty much revealing our inner selves. You know, your doctors look at your, your brain, for God's sake. So all of your insides are looked at, everything from head to toe. So mm. to be physically vulnerable with your doctor, with your neurologist, that's one step. And then to move it over with an OT, like to really talk about those issues that affect you in this way, it it is super uncomfortable. And I still don't know if I would have enough, uh, I guess, guts to, to like bring it up because I'm, I'm also feeling out the OT, you know, like how are they going to be? But I love the fact right. that you said this is something that you all should address, you know, because then you can gauge how the conversation will flow when you do dive into that topic about sex and intimacy and how to better prepare for it or make sure you're safe during the act. So that's a that's a wonderful thing that that you said and that you do. I think most occupational therapists don't really um, touch on that, that I've, this is from my experience that I have had to uh, see, they've never said, Hey, how is your sex life? You know, it's just never been a conversation. Right. And sometimes it has to be as kind of direct. I mean, I guess like gauging like the rapport that you have with the the uh, patient, but sometimes it's got to be direct like that. But let me ask you, Audra, what kind of um, education do you as occupational therapists get as it relates to sexuality and working with patients? So we get, it's unfortunate. I have to say that it is unfortunate because Mm -hmm. um, as as I look through my old textbooks and kind of look at Mm -hmm. the, the sexuality portions, of our um, practice textbooks, there's really limited information. It's like a page. Mm. It's something that's important to address. It's something that we need to think about, you know, physical limitations that are impacting um, a person's ability to engage in either self-sex or self-sex with a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not really 
a very comprehensive thing that we dive into either in coursework or even in our education. And when you read some of the research articles online too, like it's very broad, like an understanding, like this is an important part of, you know, someone's being, um, my, Mm -hmm. my previous degree was in psychology. So we spent, um, an entire year talking about sexuality and Mm -hmm. I, you know, I always refer back to that sexuality textbook that I got during my my psych courses and then Mm -hmm. thinking about how to integrate it. But not every OT comes with that background as well and understanding the the social implications that, you know, shape your your uh, sense of sexuality. So it's a huge topic and everybody just jumps right to, you know, like sex, like the physical acts of sex when you know, we really kind of need to, to talk about this fuzzy area around the outside that's mm-hmm. really sexuality. And that, you know, yes. first, before we talk about sex, like physical components of sex. So, yes. Yeah. There's so many layers to it. I, can I ask a quick question about, let's say you have a patient who does self self catheterization i can never pronounce it correctly uh do would you be able to like guide someone or not guide them but talk talk to them about like how to better i don't because i don't know i've never done self catheterization before so how does that work when they're functioning with that particular device and they are you know they're having urology urology issues because a lot of us are doing that. MS patients have a weak bladder, as we all know. What would you guide someone in saying, like how how to hold your bladder when you're having sex or stimulate it? So, so what we talk about is preparing the environment first, right? So y- yes. you have to, as when you have a, a, a chronic illness, especially with you know MS too, you have to plan. You kind of have to plan for things. And so like, can you, it's important for you to empty your bladder before, because then if you're thinking about, oh my goodness, I'm going to have an accident. Can you really be Mm -hmm. enjoying the physical act that you're having? So kind of getting people to think about, you know, what are the steps you can take beforehand? And then, you know, some instances where people say that takes away the spontaneity of the sexual act. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It does. However, you know, maybe if you're the type of person that um, for you doing your makeup or having a piece of sexy lingerie on or underwear on, if that helps you mm-hmm. feel confident and, and more aroused and mentally in the game, then maybe going to the bathroom right before you have sex isn't going to be a big issue because you've already right. still the, like you, you've, you've hit another area that helps you feel aroused and to be honest with you powerful right because you're mm-hmm. in control yep. of your own sexuality and when you have a good sex life you have you know you have that um you have confidence in yourself yeah mm-hmm. in my opinion so we kind of talked about that self-catheterization you know in and of itself is a nice <laughs> area i get i get excited about this because that's kind of an avenue that we can <laughs> talk about sex in because we're kind of there with the nurse, the nurse is the one that kind of teaches the catheterization, at least in my mm-hmm. sites. The nurse is the one that teaches the catheterization, but I'm there through the process. And we're figuring out positions right. and mirror placement. You know, if you have decreased sensation, you're really relying on vision. Well, let's take mm-hmm. a second. Let's, you know, a lot of your, your, um, oh, when you're doing sexual education and sexual psychology, mm-hmm. it talks about how you should Look at your body parts, you know, and start being comfortable with your body parts visually. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Finding areas where you can have sensation. So that's an opening for me to be like, you know, what area can you feel? If it's, you know, if the lack of sensation is in your genital region versus your fingertips, like, can you feel certain spots, you know, and maybe having them take that opportunity to like, not while we're around, but, you know, we found a position where you can do this. Why don't you, why don't you take some time and start learning how to be more comfortable with your body and finding out what feels good for you. And it's, you know, it, right. it's, and it will change again. So how do we mm-hmm. help you feel more comfortable with this process? That is a really good point. A very good point. And I think what you said about positioning, that's super important as well, because you don't want to be in an uncomfortable situation. And the whole point is to try to find your, your pleasure or, or enhance your experience. So 
positioning plays a huge role in that. Sometimes it's about us talking too about like, hey, you know, what's the weight capacity on your wheelchair? You know, do you know what your weight capacity is on your wheelchair? If it's 250 pounds and you and your partner are probably maybe over that that weight mm-hmm. limit, um, maybe we're thinking of different places to to have sex, you know, or maybe it's about utilizing your wheelchair and having that, you know, for some people being able to have sex in their wheelchair is really mm-hmm. empowering because the wheelchair is an extension of them and they've made that self-identity. And that's a good thing. Right. We want to we want to promote anything that that makes you feel good. Right, right. In our slides, they talk about positioning aids. So do you all have those on hand? They, the love bumpers or liber, liberator shapes, you know, that, that fit underneath your hips? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have, like, they're not specifically uh, as sexually <laughs> positioned. But we have, you know, we, we definitely utilize wedges in every area that I've worked in mm-hmm. um, to get people in positions for exercise or, or movement. I mean, and, and that's what it is. Sex is exercise and, and movement. So we have wedges. Um, Thigh straps. And then being <laughs> interesting. I've never seen those before. I was like, oh, great. But can you imagine if I pull that out in front of somebody, they'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> But a lot of kind of pointing people to like, you know, try to imagine yourself in, in this position or um, or with this this wedge. And I hate for people to have to buy things for them it not to work. But right. in some of these instances, like you, you, you kind of have to. That makes right. sense. Like you can't. So we can just kind of direct people to where like you can purchase these things and um, you you. You can find a lot online. I'm just going to say yeah, a lot online. Mm -hmm. Well, and even like looking at the slides and looking at some of like the wedges and stuff like, you know, it's not it's not like you've got to go to a sex shop or something like that to get some of these things. I mean, they're just like basic kind of wedgie type things that you might use, let's say, to elevate your legs, for example, or, you know, things like that. Um with that said, Audra, like, do you ever suggest to a patient, like, this is something that might help you? Or, like, how, how does that conversation ever come up? Like, using, like, devices, for lack of a better term? No, it, it yes, it has come up. Um Part of my background was working in a brain injury rehab setting. So a lot of mm-hmm. neurological, cognitive disabilities. So, mm-hmm. and then, you know, we're talking to family members as well, because that partner, that personal partner, that the patient mm-hmm. that I have, we have to talk to them too about, you know, you might have to use this due to this physical impairment that this person has. So we, you know, we mm-hmm. can kind of direct people to, a suggestion that we have because we with you we kind of we've been on this journey with you we know maybe you have spasticity on your left side you know how best mm. can you position so that you you don't have um or you're less likely to have an issue or an increase of tone while you're in the physical act mm-hmm. um i like to take a step back like outside of the brain injury setting too is and I've only been able to have this conversation with about three people in my whole entire career, which is only only nine years. Um, but I've only talked to three people about like finding better ways for self-stimulation. Like first, let's explore your new body by yourself again so that you can right. build that confidence because you start introducing wedges and a partner and we've had it, you know, now we're changing our entire sex. Like it's a, it's a lot emotionally mm-hmm. and I don't want to yes. for a for a disappointing you know interaction with with their partner because that's a whole right. that starts a whole cycle of we want you to feel good about your your sex life and your sexuality mm-hmm. we want you to feel good we don't want you to feel like it's overwhelming then you're not going to engage in it and then right no I was just going to say it's kind of like foreplay it, foreplay with yourself and then could possibly turn on your partner and both of you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like by touching yourself or getting to know yourself. That's 
a huge component of all of it. Because if in order to communicate with a partner, partners, whatever, you right. have to know yourself. Like, what are you going to, you know, like, you can't tell somebody. Touch me here if you don't know that you, know. you like to be touched there. Yeah. Right. If you don't know. And I think people don't, I, I love that you guys said that. I think that people don't often um, think about how important communication is to everyone's sex mm -hmm. life is, you know, and, and to me, I'm very much a, you know, woman power. And I feel like we need to, t to take our, our energy and power back and really make it about, you know, I know myself, this is what I like. And you can jump on board or you cannot jump on board. I don't want to waste my time with you because mm -hmm. if you can't communicate with me and love me the way I see me, then I'll have time for you. And I don't want anybody that I'm working with to feel any less than how, you know, like I, I try to bring that to, you know, like you should own this. You right. deserve, you deserve to feel mm -hmm. good about your body, period. Right. Yes. I like that you, I like that you said that because I think so often when it comes to people with chronic illnesses, MS specifically, because that's what we're talking about, mm -hmm. you don't feel like you're worthy right. of, you know, attention or to feel good or, you know, sexuality and things like that. We're so often seen as like mm -hmm. asexual beings. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, you're worthy. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it's true. Like you, you deserve this. You do. And that's why, like we were saying, communicating and really communicating with yourself, like, and not lying to yourself, like, oh, it'll just, it'll be okay. Like if you are not up front and really comfortable with having this conversation with, with you know with yourself first <laughs> then you're not going to be able to have any positive outcome or it will be difficult to have a positive outcome with a partner or even with a therapist talking about mm -hmm. it if you aren't being honest about what is affecting you you know what feels good what doesn't feel good all of that Mm -hmm. So right, yeah. and being open to changes, you know, and talking to people about, um, you know, and how we write our 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 goals in such a way that we don't we don't explicitly write goals like um, this person will be able to achieve orgasm x times that they masturbate. Like that's not how we would write a sexuality goal, but maybe we write it as right. such that we are writing goals like will be able to do uh, fine motor coordination in order to um, engage in leisure tasks, mm -hmm. right? So if, you know, looking right. at where your impairments are and, or maybe modifying techniques and, and having people kind of really think up outside the box, maybe I used to do things this way and maybe that's physically no longer possible. So what could I do instead? And, and just kind of always... Mm putting an extension on on things like this is an extension of myself now like these these props maybe to help me get in a good position they're just an extension of my um my sexuality and I kind of think about right to bring up something like when we work with people that have had um like colostomies and they have like those bags hanging off them that are constantly having um, right. feces in them like that really mm -hmm. takes away from your sexual kind of feeling and so now, like mm -hmm. every time I work with somebody that has a new, you know, bag, not only do we talk about how to, how to care for the bag, but we're also going out online and I'm like, look at this, you know, lacy, lacy type wraps and they help you feel for women, at least they kind of help you feel a little mm -hmm. bit more, um, confident and sexy. Not that because they're covering mm -hmm. things up and we talk about ways to reduce smell and so that you can again, me, it mm -hmm. all boils down to confidence so that you yes. can feel confident in any task. That you right. And, and maybe a lot, this might be funny, but some issues that you have may not be related to MS. It might be old age or, you know, an old injury, sports injury or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think what Audra just said really touches on what um, Dr. Ducharme was talking about in the the uh, slides. That's right. Don't try to recreate the past because the reality is that you're in a different place now. That, mm -hmm. that it is what it is. 
let's move forward. It's creating right. a new reality. Moving forward you know? with, with that confidence that Audra just said and communication. Those are key points in this entire discussion. Yes. You you have to have it. Confidence and communication. Yes. For, for me as a therapist, acknowledging that I have to also have those skills in my own personal life. That because yes. I don't have MS does not mean that I'm engaging in a fulfilling and, and great sex life. You know, if I'm not doing those things, right. we are, you know, working through this together. And sometimes there are, you know, bumps too, but just, just so knowing that that you're not the only one struggling with it too, or you're not the only one that has to practice these things too. Like you said, mm -hmm. any kind of sports and right. fatigue and stress and um, right. that they all impact, yep. impact you. And like, we have to practice what we preach too. And then help, you know, to have an open discussion with the person that we're working with, like, you know, this is what I found to be helpful and just kind of knowing that other people are going through it and not thinking that, Everybody out there is having a better sex life than me because I'm not X, right. Y, and Z. No, that's not true. Exactly. I think yes. that it's wow. really important just to accept where you are and move forward and then take your time and take your time in like learning your body and communicating with your partner or partners. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And just be gentle. And then we, we can go from there. But it, it really is important to do that. And like I was saying earlier in foreplay, the time that it takes to become aroused, that's, that's really critical and, and so crucial and some sort of overall enhancement in the bedroom, sexual enhancement. So, yeah, yeah. such a good topic. Thank you. Wow. Uh -huh. The arousal response is different for females versus males, right. you know, so. Are working, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a female, so if I'm working with a gentleman that has MS and we are discussing sexuality, then that's something that I need to talk to him about. Like, you know, energy conservation is going to be crucial to you. However, you're, if you have a female partner, they might be looking more into the foreplay aspect and you're very worried that you're going to have the energy to keep up with an entire sexual encounter. So what are some ways that, you know, mm -hmm. you can communicate to your partner or what can they do beforehand, you know, and it's all kind of about planning, which again can feel like it takes away yes. the spontaneity, but maybe we need to stop emphasizing spontaneity as good sex, you know? Yes. It's not, there. there is no direct correlation to that, you know, it's very individual based and, um, yes. So it's just kind of different views and understanding yes. how men and women are, are different too and then how can we work together. But again, that boils down to communication. There's like like you said, there's only three components, right? Communication, confidence, and what was the other one? Sorry. Um, acceptance. acceptance. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. This You're is such a great conversation, yes, Audra. And you are just a phenomenal therapist. Like I people need yes. you. They need more yes. Audras. <laughs> I need to clone you. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Would you consider coming on and talking with us again at some point about stuff like this? Absolutely. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you. I think that when it comes to sexuality and MS and intimacy and things like that. Um, these are things that aren't often discussed. So even beyond the series that we're doing, you know, I think it's something that we should keep up with, Don. Do you think? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Audra, for your time. And we will talk with you soon. Well, thank you very much. Please. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. We continue to peel back the layers with a conversation with the physical therapist that you all know and love, Dr. Gretchen Hawley. Welcome, Dr. Gretchen, and thanks for joining us again. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, it, it is rare, as my co-host just said, it's rare that we get a chance to talk to our healthcare providers about this topic. So it's super important to be able to connect with you and get your, your expertise. So thanks. Um, 
And as you know, we've had several episodes about self-acceptance and how any type of physical sexual activity with a partner or intimate activity with a partner um, will, it, it won't begin unless you are like accepting and loving yourself and feeling confident and aware that your body is changing and able to communicate that. So um, yeah, we, we struggle with our bodies post-diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And then as the disease progresses, it's like, oh no, what are, what am I doing? I don't know right. how to move my leg. The spasticity is driving me crazy. So it's yeah. just, like I said, it's wonderful to be able to speak with um, a physical therapist about all the things that we can do to help. Yes. So we had the opportunity to speak with an occupational therapist and are very curious to talk to you as a physical therapist and kind of find out maybe how you work in tandem with other healthcare providers and how you approach the concept or the subject of sex and intimacy with MS patients. So I guess I'll just ask you. So when it comes to sex and intimacy and things like that, is this a topic that you bring up with your patients or do you just kind of let the patient take the lead? And if they mention it, then they'll go from there. Just curious. That's a great question because I think what a lot of healthcare providers do is they hope that the person experiencing issues with sex or intimacy will be the one to bring it up. So right. if it's not brought up, it's just kind of assumed that it's not an issue or it's not on their radar. But I have found that no one ever wants to admit that something right. is going on in that department. So never once has someone been the first person to mention it to me, but... Right. I knew that with a lot of conditions, this is something that is an issue. So I started asking my mm -hmm. clients and almost all of them had did open up and mentioned some type of issue with sex or intimacy once I started the the conversation about it. So I do personally like to ask, like, how is everything going in the bedroom? Any issues, anything you want to talk about? And just start that conversation because Otherwise, how can we help if we don't know that it's happening? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mm -hmm. remember I had physical therapy um, last year, and the therapist was working on pelvic floor exercises with me, and mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't think to say, "Hey, would this help me in the bedroom?" Also, but um, mm -hmm. I realized at that time, she was a wonderful therapist. I just think that people, like you said, they don't know if we don't open up our mouths to ask. And she, um, it, it just seems like overall the, the lower half topic where, whether it's, mm -hmm. it's incontinence or, um, or sex that that's kind of taboo. So how Right. What would you recommend a patient say, or like, how would they, what would you recommend us to do, like approaching you um, in mm -hmm. that scenario? So the first thing that I want to say is just know that while it, while it might not seem likely, physical therapists actually can help with issues like incontinence, as well as any type of sexual limitations or issues going on. Because a lot of the times it's due to tight muscles or mm -hmm. weak muscles. And our pelvic floor is so heavily coordinated with our leg muscles and our stomach muscles. So if you have spasticity in those areas, there are definitely exercises and stretches that we can give you to help with your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Now, there are also pelvic floor specialized physical therapists, but just I think for a lot of people knowing that, okay, my physical therapist is, is someone who can actually give some guidance in this area is helpful. I think some people don't bring it up because they don't think that it's their wheelhouse. Right. But it can at least get the conversation started. And my best advice of how to get it started would just be to say something like, 
Um, do you have any tips for things that might be issues in the bedroom? You don't even have mm. to say what your specific issue is, but what that tells a therapist is, okay, there's something that's going on and it might make them ask the questions of words you might not want to say. Right, right. So my best advice, just be super broad if you're a little bit nervous about broaching mm -hmm. the subject and let the therapist, you know, ask more questions and get you uh -huh. talking. That makes sense. Yeah, that's a, it does make perfect sense. Just out of curiosity, Dr. Gretchen, and we talked about this a little bit with the occupational therapist, as well as we had talked with um, Dr. Mitzi Williams not too long ago. And I'm just wondering your perspective. So how much education do you guys get as it relates to counseling or discussing sex with patients is it a main not main focus but is it like a significant focus in your education or not really it is not it is a focus mm -hmm. but i would not say that it's a main focus okay and in physical therapy school we had a course that was on kind of like the random things that you'll run into as a physical therapist mm -hmm. and it was in there. So we did have several lectures, several um, clinicals and practicals and information on it, but it's right. not like it was its own course or the main focus even of that course. But I will never forget the very first um, lecture that we had talked to us said that there are so many commercials and advertisements for things that will help with incontinence, mm -hmm. yet there's never a commercial or advertisement for pelvic floor physical therapy that can help reduce that limitation so you don't need those products in the first place. Yeah. So it was really eye-opening that not only with incontinence, but there is no education out there with who you can talk to mm -hmm. about any type of sexual or incontinence mm -hmm. issue. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really good point. I mean, you do, and we see commercials on TV about, you know, Viagra and, you mm -hmm. know, different kinds of things that are supposed to aid um, in the bedroom, but it's not something that we feel comfortable always talking to our neurologists mm -hmm. and therapists about. Right. Yeah. And in our in our class, we learned a bunch of information and possible things that might arise, whether the issue be neurological or even orthopedic, like if you had mm -hmm. a hip replacement or, yeah. or something of that sort. And so we came up with exercises and we actually came up with a, a document of a mm -hmm. home exercise program that you could do to help with flexibility and strengthening and even certain positions that you might be able to try or products that you might be able to buy that can assist with with having sex. Yes. So, and I guess that brings us to another question. So, and you kind of answered it, but do you recommend or do you have products, not products, but aids that you recommend that may aid people in? And I think we sent you the uh, slides. Yeah presentation and in the slides there are a bunch of different aids that people can use to kind of aid them in the bedroom uh, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term are those types of things things that you recommend maybe for patients yeah the things that when i'm talking about this subject with someone that i mention most often mm -hmm. are something called sex wedges and mm -hmm. they can help with positioning in a seated position to make things more comfortable and to get everything in the right position. So mm -hmm. there's a bunch of different types depending on maybe like where you're going to be sitting is it in a wheelchair or a right. bed or a regular chair. Um, so there's a lot of different types and positions of the sex wedges, but also a thigh sling can yes. be really, really helpful because it is hard work to stay in a position for an extended period of time yes. without, like a leg fall, if, especially if you have weakness, your leg does not want to stay bent or mm -hmm. even in any real position. So allowing your pelvic floor muscles to relax because your legs can relax can mm -hmm. be really, really beneficial. So, and that's what a thigh sling does is that it can help it, your legs stay in the posi position that you want it to. 
Um, and then we also talk about wheelchairs and power tilt wheelchairs and how much weight can your wheelchair withstand mm-hmm. can it move and in what ways, because finding a wheelchair that can be used for sex is, mm-hmm. is different, you know, than a transport wheelchair or wheelchair right. that you might use in other ways. So, right. so those are the three things that I typically will, will talk about most often. Okay. So in the slides that we sent you, Dr. Ducharme had um, made a really interesting point about how you can't be, or not can't be, but you shouldn't be stressed when thinking about sex or, you know, when it comes to intimacies. Uh, Obviously, stress leads to a not enjoyable experience. And so I think that, you know, we were talking about some of the aids and things like that, um, that helps kind of, uh, I don't want to say enhance the experience, but help uh, accommodate things. I think that that definitely helps in the stress department. So Absolutely. And another thing to keep in mind, too, is that stress, as well as any level of intimacy, both of them often increase your core temperature, and Mm -hmm. that can cause heat intolerance. So for anyone who does have symptoms arise when they are overheating, even if typically that happens on a hot day or in the shower, it can also be caused by stress or exercise or intimacy. So even taking some preventative measures and not that you'd want to be wearing a cooling vest, you know, with those ice bags (laughs) right on the but there's so many products out there right now for that can help you stay cool that are much less cumbersome and it's just preventative. So you might not need a a big vest. It's just maybe a hat, (laughs) neck wrap, cooling thing. Right. So... That I'm laughing <laughs> because I'm imagining like, <laughs> somebody like with some sexy lingerie right. on and cooling. Oh my gosh, could you imagine right. cooling lingerie? I know, oh, yeah, like, that's right. Along with cooling <laughs> sheets, you could have cooling sheets. You know, that would be yes, exactly. <laughs> but I, yeah. I heard that you or heard you all talking about you know these aids that assist with your positioning, you know, like the leg straps or the thigh straps, Mm -hmm. things like that. And we spoke with Dr. Boster um, at the beginning of the year or no, last year in in the summer. And he had mentioned uh, speaking with a patient who had some incontinence issues and he had used, um, the patient had used a vibrator uh, to enhance his erection or, um, and so Mm -hmm. I think that, those things are wonderful. And, and I think they're super helpful. However, patients are super intimidated. These, these toys or tools can be intimidating, even if you aren't experiencing any type of challenge or, or um, illness, like MS, it's scary to to say Mm -hmm. to your PT, hey, can you help me with thigh straps. Um, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't even know like what to say to you all. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. My leg keeps slipping. Like, how do I keep it up? I I don't know. Does does my partner hold it? (laughs) You know? Right. Yeah. And I do think it is wise to Google some things. Like the more you see something, the more comfortable you're going to be talking about it as well as just thinking about whatever that is in your life. So even if your goal is not to purchase anything, just Googling sex aids for people with mobility issues or disabilities or something like that. And just get a sense of what's out there. What's what things might you be comfortable using or what things are you definitely not comfortable using and just seeing and flooding your brain with that every now and then can be really helpful. And then it doesn't seem as scary and it doesn't seem like as big of a deal to talk about it. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Which realistically, you're going to do your research and homework anyways. You're not just going to buy the first thing that you see. But, right. but I do think that the more you the more you see things like that, the more comfortable it becomes. Yeah, definitely. Wow, this is a really great conversation, Dr. Gretchen. And I appreciate it. And I think that it talking about this and just 
hopefully people listening to this realize that it's not inappropriate to bring things like this up to your therapist, whether it be an occupational therapist, physical therapist, whatever. Um, it's an ADL, an activity of daily living. Really, when we think about it, it's hopefully enhances your quality of life. So absolutely. Yeah. And another note on that, insurance reimburses for trainings in this area. So even insurance companies understand that this is something that that is a big deal. And as physical therapists, we can bill for education and exercises that we can do that will help in this area. So really, wow, absolutely. And there's a lot of things that you can do proactively, as well as after the fact too, but just with stretching, there's stretching and breathing and exercises Mm -hmm. that you can do to help with whatever your issue might be, whether it's spasticity or weakness, there are Mm -hmm. very simple things. It's not like it's something that you wouldn't be able to do that can really help you not only put yourself in ready for the moment, but also Mm -hmm. in life. I was going to ask that yeah. if there were exercises wow. that that you all recommended to your patients that could help, you know, in that in that area. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that there are things. Of course, exercise helps with with a lot of things in your body. But, I, you know, right. I wouldn't think that, oh, yeah, let me get a workout in prior to that workout. <laughs> Yeah. Well, in a lot of too, typically what the biggest issue is, is tightness or right. spasticity. And right. there's a, so much you can do. Abdominal breathing, where when you put your one hand on your belly, one hand on your chest, you take a deep breath in and you try to get your belly to puff out more during the inhale. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be really helpful for relaxing your pelvic floor. And there's a lot of hip stretches like the figure four stretch or lying on your back and bringing one knee towards your chest or to your opposite shoulder, stretching those hip and glute muscles out also play a huge role in Mm -hmm. tightness in the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. to help loosen it. So there's lots of, same thing with the inner thigh muscles. Those are directly, they attach right to the same area where the pelvic floor is. Mm -hmm. So doing some inner thigh stretches and Again, these aren't intense. They're just seated exercises or, or seated stretches or maybe even lying down stretches that you hold for 30 seconds or a couple minutes and mm-hmm. it can make a big difference. Yeah, that's wow. This has been enlightening. Very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these tips are definitely something that we all can use and incorporate in our in our daily our ADL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And keeping in mind too that the therapists that you're working with, most often, I would hope, they they want to help you. So right. and, you know, we get excited when we hear, as as weird as this might sound, we get excited when we hear what issues are going on because we can help. And it's right. definitely worth you know, causing the three second embarrassment that you might feel right. to mm-hmm. get you know a, a full home exercise program that can yeah. help you. So we do want to know those things. And if we don't mention it first, then try to mention in some way and that you feel comfortable and practice what you're going to say. If you feel uncomfortable saying it, don't leave it to the day of that appointment where you're like, okay, I'm going to bring it up. Actually have, mm-hmm. a, have a one liner that you're going to say that you will get your point across. Mm-hmm. So you can practice that. Do you speak with neurologists or would you be willing to speak with a neurologist of one of your MS patients just to kind of like, you know, have a really solid MS care team? Because in one of Dr. Ducharme's slides, he does discuss that. Um, And, you know, just to kind of like make this person or this patient's life, quality of life in the bedroom, I guess, a lot um, Mm -hmm. happier. (laughs) Would you, do you do that? Or is that something for the patient? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm a huge advocate for multidisciplinary care. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. before I treat any patient, I look to see who their neurologist is. And typically, I'll either email or call them and Mm -hmm. just to get a background on what they have talked about, what the issues might be. And then I do my evaluation and I will send them my report as well as because some neurologists don't have time to read the entire report. Right. I'll send a separate just like a, a document that says the biggest issues that I have found. And if there is anything that 
is brought up like incontinence or intimacy, I will ask the patient if it's okay that I mention it to their doctors. Mm-hmm. And more often, almost, almost all the time, I would say, they say absolutely because they don't want to be the one to mention it. So with me mentioning it, I'm letting someone else know. So I do get their permission first, but I will let their other healthcare providers know what we talked about so that if they have any additional things that might help, everyone is on the same page. So it is very important for all of your doctors, even not just your neurologist and PT and OT, but if you're also seeing a massage therapist or your Mm -hmm. care doctor, speech therapist, cognitive therapist, everyone. Yeah. And that's a really good point. It is. Because sometimes like when we, you know, if you're working with an OT or PT or other therapist, sometimes you're able to kind of forge a a different kind of rapport with your therapist because they're kind of more hands-on in your business Mm -hmm. and hands-on, right. Versus your neurologist who you might only see for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes at a follow-up and, you know, you might not have the type of relationship that you have with your therapist. So Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really cool that, or important that um, everyone's kind of on the same page. And it does, I think, kind of, take the load off, the uncomfortable load off of the patient of having to bring it up to their neurologist if, you know, the therapist, um, you know, put it in their notes and all of that. Yeah. One thing that I have found is I'll, I'll always ask that question during the initial evaluation of, you know, is anything going on with pelvic floor or sex intimacy? And Mm -hmm. sometimes they're not ready to open up then, but oftentimes I have found that as you just mentioned, physical therapy, you're normally going at least twice a week for a couple of months. So I've become friends with my clients and it is not Mm -hmm. uncommon for maybe a month and a half down the road for someone, for a client to open up then and say, you know what, like this is actually something that's going on. So even if you're not comfortable right away, because if you've never met that person before, yeah, that's going to be uncomfortable to a thing like that. But as you get to know them and not everyone meshes with each person. So if you don't feel open, like you can be open with that person, maybe try a different physical therapist. And Mm -hmm. there is someone that you would be comfortable talking to these things about. This was so enlightening, Dr. Gretchen. And thank you so much for um, adding to this important um, conversation that uh, needs to be had. Yeah, you're um, welcome. So glad you asked because, it, it, as you said, it does need to be having a lot of people aren't really sure who to talk to. So, right, thank you right. for including me. Yes. Um, can you tell people where they could find you online and on social media? Yeah, I have a YouTube page under Dr. Gretchen Holly where I post a new video every single week. I have an Instagram and Facebook, which is Dr. Gretchen, where I post daily content. And I also have a website, missinglink.com, spelled M-S-I-N-G link. And you are also more than welcome to email me at Gretchen at drgretchenholly.com. You are such a gem. Thank you so much. And thanks for what you do in the MS community. And thank you, Dr. Gretchen. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.